The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, the second Gospel of the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be reading from Mark chapter 15, the verses 15 to 38. At this point, Jesus Christ has been arrested. He's been betrayed by Judas with a kiss. And he has been brought before the council who condemned him, and then they bring him before Pontius Pilate, demanding that he allow, him to, they, he allow them to put him to death. Pontius Pilate finds him innocent, and yet the crowd demands that he be crucified all the same. And then we come to our passage here, Mark 15, starting at verse 15, you'll be able to find that on page 1174 of your pew Bible. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple. And they twisted a crown of thorns and put, him on, put it on his head. And began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed. And spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him. And put his own clothes on him. And led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription above of his accusation was written, The King of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which said, He was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated, is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those that stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. 
Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So far, the text for today is taken from verses 31 and the first part of verse 32. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever felt completely humiliated? Most of us have experienced this at one point or another. Maybe it was that time in elementary school when you had an accident or someone spilled water on you and you looked like you wet your pants. Maybe it was on a job site and you damaged a piece of equipment belonging to your boss. Or even worse, the property of a customer. Maybe it was the time that your child did something that really wasn't bright and there wasn't much you could do about it, yet someone suggested that it was your fault. Or maybe it was one of a million other things. Boys and girls, have you ever dreamed that you showed up in your pajamas at school? Some of you may not care so much, but some of you may care a whole lot. It's especially bad if somebody else draws attention to what has happened, and they make fun of you for it, and they shame you in front of everybody else. You get that feeling of wanting to disappear into a puddle. And you remember how strong that feeling was. And then you read our passage today. A humiliation happens here that is beyond compare. A humiliation that's so much deeper than anything that we have ever had to face and anything that we will ever have to face. A shame that came to the least deserving one in the world. To Christ, the Son of God. Christ who healed, who preached, who was full of compassion to sinners who so desperately looked to him for kindness and forgiveness and grace. And maybe you looked at this passage, reading this passage, and and you get a little bit angry inside as you read about the mocking of the Pharisees and the mocking of the scribes who are around him. And maybe you even wondered, why did it have to happen? Why did he have to face the shame that he did? Why did God allow the Pharisees to be so cruel to add to it? Today, 
we'll look at this under the following theme and points. The necessity of the crucifixion. And we'll see, first of all, the true Christ. Secondly, forgetting the words of God. And third, see and believe. In our passage, Jesus Christ hanging on the cross with a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left is set out on display. Beaten, flogged, spit on, having a crown of thorns on his head and being stripped of all his clothing. In some images that you might see, if you've ever seen a crucifix, you'll see that there's a loincloth around his waist in those pictures, but that is not what the Word of God shows to us. He was stripped naked, and he was hung there, bruised and beaten, for all the world to see and to humiliate. Everybody else is making fun of him, They bring to mind the words that he said about destroying the temple and rebuilding it again. Not realizing here that he was speaking in pictures, they used it as a moment to poke fun at his complete helplessness. He who in their eyes claimed to have power to destroy the most important building in all of Israel and rebuild it again is now hanging naked, bleeding, and powerless for all the world to see. But it's the chief priests and the scribes who make a special point of driving this home. They pick one that they knew was close to his heart. They picked on what was up to this point the big question of the Gospel of Mark Who is Jesus? They knew that many people thought him to be the Christ, the long awaited Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word for the Greek Christ, or in English what we have as the anointed one. They thought he was the Messiah, the Christ of the nation of Israel, who would deliver them. These Pharisees and scribes also knew that while telling people to be quiet about it, Jesus did not tell them that he was not the Christ, and this had galled them. It had made them furiously angry. Because of this, it had become a battle of us versus him in their minds. It's been war for the last three years, and now they see themselves as having won. This is it. This is their time to enjoy their victory. Jesus was revealing himself to his people bit by bit. They had wrong views about who the Messiah, the Christ, was and what the Messiah would do. And because of this, Jesus had not let them openly call him the Christ. But by his actions, he had been teaching them who the Christ was and what he would do. He had been leading them to the realization that he was the Christ. The Pharisees didn't understand this, but they knew that this was central to his message while he was on earth. And now they used it as a weapon to hurt him as deeply as they could. Instead of listening to him and 
realizing that the whole point of Christ was not to start up a kingdom on earth, but to save his people from their sins. They only listened to him to pick out what could hurt him the most. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you were talking to people and they weren't listening to what you had to say, only to what they wanted to hear? That's how they treated Jesus Christ. And now they were using what they had learned to shame him before as many people as possible, to humiliate him before the world. An earthly Christ, the kind that these leaders were expecting, really would have been devastated by what they did. An earthly Christ, an earthly ruler, seeing people who had loved him and celebrated him, turned against him by his enemies, seeing people who had wanted to raise him up as a king before, now being led by the chief priests and teachers of the law to make fun of this title of Christ and king, it would be devastating. It would be unwinding the precious work of a false person who had devoted a part of his life to letting people believe that he was special. Now, it was devastating to Jesus Christ, but not in the way that they had thought or expected. It was painful for him to see it and to experience it. But the truth of the matter was, it was exactly what he, would, he knew would happen to him as the Christ, because Jesus was the real Christ. He was the one prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 12, as Matthew draws our attention to, with the words, he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many. This was the task of the Messiah. This was the life of the Christ. Not to be a powerful king, not to be the first of all to conquer the one who first of all would conquer the world. At the end of days, every knee will bow to him, but that wasn't his purpose here. Though the world mocked him, Christ himself knew that this moment in time, the cross was his calling. And so he embraced it willingly for the sake of those who would be brought near to him through this sacrifice. And this brings us to our second point, forgetting the words of God. Now sadly, the chief priests and the scribes, the teachers of the law had allowed the opinions of man to trump what the word of God actually taught. They had looked at the word of God and they had established their opinion on what the Messiah, the Christ, was going to be like. There was no room in their minds for an Isaiah 53 kind of Messiah that Matthew refers to, the suffering servant, the humble messenger of the Lord. There was no room in their minds for a Messiah, a Christ, who was the king of a heavenly kingdom. It was earthly splendor or nothing. It was someone who would agree with their opinions and back their play for power. Someone who would help them take control of the government and eventually throw out their oppressors or nothing. And this is what happens when we begin to look from the world in instead of from the word out. 
When God's word is looked at from the viewpoint of our culture, instead of looking at our culture from the viewpoint of the kingdom, this happens. You may have heard this described as a kingdom down, not culture up way of looking at the world. God's word has to be first in our lives. It has to paint the way that we look at the world because if it doesn't, the world will paint the way that we look at life. And we will find ourselves in the same position as the Pharisees. Is the word of God influencing your culture? Are you in it enough for it to do so? And when you're in it, do you actually engage and grapple with the word, praying for the spirit to apply it to your life? Or do you have two lives, one in which the Bible applies and one in which it doesn't really? Is the word influencing your culture or is your culture influencing you? For these Pharisees, it was clear that their culture and the world's expectations had influenced them instead. In their minds, for hundreds of years, this is how rabbis had understood Scripture. This is what rabbis had taught. Even though Christ truly brought them back to the Word, their traditions overruled what He said about the Word. And this ended up with them mocking the Son of God on the cross. This is the end of those who allow culture to be the dominant influence in their lives instead of the word of God and takes away the value of the cross. We think less of Christ's sacrifice. Its meaning and its purpose begins to be lost on us. But though its meaning and purpose may be lost on us, God's word will still win through. At the end of the day, it didn't matter that people mocked him. Knowing the prophecies and being very aware of what he would have to suffer, Jesus expected everything that came his way. He bore it for the sake of his people even going to the extent of crying out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They didn't know the great sin that they were committing in having forgotten the words of God and in crucifying the Son of God himself. And in his mercy, even while he was on the receiving end of scorn and shame, he still reached out in love to those who had led their expectations to lead them to reject the Messiah. And God's grace won through even here. Because how did the Father respond to this? He allowed the sins of man to continue. He allowed the sins of man to continue so that his purpose for salvation might be completed. His Messiah was meant to suffer. His Christ, his anointed one, was expected to pour out his blood to the point of death. His suffering had meaning and purpose. And he answered 
the prayer of Christ as well. We read in the book of Acts that many who had been priests, they turned to the Savior, Jesus Christ. They recognized him as the Messiah. The people's rejection and their scorn was on them. It was a great sin that they had heaped up. It wasn't God who forced their hands to commit this. This was the greatest possible crime in history, the crucifixion of the Son of God. Yet, God used their sin all the same, even to redeem some of them. Because their rejection of him meant that when his work was done, it would be shown to the world that this was meant to be. And this brings us to our third point. See and believe. Sometimes we ourselves come into situations in this life in which we can't understand how God could possibly work out something for good. And I can think of one situation in particular that I ran across not too long ago. There was a boy out in the Middle East whose parents really loved him, but his brothers didn't. And this boy was a bit of a know-it-all and would watch his brothers, and if they did anything wrong, he would run back to his dad and he would tell on them. His dad wasn't exactly hiding the fact that this boy was his favorite son either. He got him stuff that he got for no one else. And this boy told, on his, told his brothers on not just one but two occasions that there would be a day in which he would be the one in control and they would have to bow to him. He had a dream, he said, and his dream meant that this would be true. Well, his brothers really began to hate him. And one day when he went up to check on them out in the fields, a good distance away, they threw him into a pit. And then after that, sold him to some traders passing by. They went home and they told his dad a wild animal had killed him and his dad didn't know any better. This boy's life was horrible. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold as a slave. And even when he worked hard and did well at his job, Working to the glory of God, things didn't go well. A little while in, he was falsely accused of sexual assault, and then he was thrown in prison. In prison, he helped out a man who, was, who had been powerful before he was in prison and who was later released. And this man had promised to help him, but for a long time, no help came. Eventually, though, he was released. God elevated him from his lowly position and he became the most powerful man in Egypt after Pharaoh. His elevation meant the saving of countless lives in a time of very great famine. Even the lives of his brothers who had hated him. His name was Joseph. And when he reflected on the question that had probably weighed the most on his heart year after year, how could this possibly turn out for good? He was able to say in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people would be kept alive as they are today. 
So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. This is what's been called by some 50-20 vision. Genesis 50, verse 20. Now there will be times in this life when we won't have this 50-20 vision. We'll never know why God has allowed something to happen. We will be in the position where Christ's friends were as they were watching their rabbi, their savior, their teacher hanging on the cross as they were watching these chief priests and teachers scoffing at him, these men who should have recognized him and honored him, spitting on him. This was where his disciples were. This was where his mother was. But today, looking back on this passage, we do have 50-20 vision. In our passage, the Pharisees shouted that if he came off the cross, they would believe him to be the Christ. But they knew that to be a lie. No matter what would happen, they had convinced themselves that no matter what happened, they would not see and believe. But God used their sin so that we who receive the gospel message might see and believe. Isaiah 53, verse 3, he is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Psalm 22, verses 16 to 18, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This was foretold that we might see and believe. This was foretold, and it was meant to be. Why? Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was on him. It was done to restore us to God. Even as humiliating as their mockery was, and even as wicked as it was, though painful, it only advanced the purpose of God in this world. Him being despised and rejected by men with suffering and scorn heaped on him by them only served to fulfill what God had said in his word. So that he, having suffered everything poured out on him, and the wrath of God, even beyond all of that, he could redeem for himself a people who could see and believe, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It was not senseless. It was never senseless. It was never meaningless. This is true 50-20 vision. So how do we keep from forgetting this? This, as we look to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his word, how do we keep from forgetting this as we read his word? And also, how do we keep from forgetting this 
when we see what God has in store, even through our times of suffering. Keep our eyes on the gospel message. Go to his word. Beloved, read God's word and let it be imprinted on your heart. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word that we'll ever be able to make sense of this, to make sense of Christ's suffering, to make sense of our suffering, and to remember who the true Christ is and why he came. He knows us. He understands our sorrows. His humiliation was for us that in him we might be washed clean and given strength to flee from sin, to make war against it, to pursue righteousness. This is what he teaches us. This is what he teaches us in his word. Remembering that, holding that fast in our minds, I'd like to close with a reading from the Belgic Confession. These words from our Belgic Confession, Article 29. Those who are of the church may be recognized by the mark of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Flee from sin and pursue righteousness. Love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or left. And crucify their flesh and its works. Although great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. This is why Christ came and suffered. This is what he obtained for us. See, believe. This is our Good Friday joy found in the suffering and the death of Christ. Amen. Amen.